0: Welcome back to the Red Dice Stories with John and Hannah. Hi. Okay, love, so you're the sort of mastermind behind this idea of doing this episode and perhaps other ones in the future, so why don't you tell the people who are listening what the idea is and what we're going to be talking about today. So I found a stack
1: of old Dragon magazines, mm-hmm. uh, some of them very old from like when we were teenagers, Yeah. but none of them like the really, really early ones. Thought it'd be cool to have a look through and pretty much see if we could plunder some ideas for our podcast. So, without further ado, we've randomly picked issue 218 from June
0: 1995. Back when I was a wee slip of a lad of 15.
1: I was 13, I think I'd just started playing D&D when this would have come out, it would have been second ed. Yep. And on page 32, we found an article called Spice of Life, Multiple Plotlines in Roleplaying Campaigns by Thomas Kane with artwork from Wayne Mondock. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, John, do you want to give us a brief overview of the article?
0: Okay, well, effectively, in the article Spice of Life, Thomas Kane is talking about having multiple plot lines running at the same time in your RPG campaigns. He makes a comparison of Chinese mystery stories that have multiple, often unrelated, plots going on at once.
1: And as I was reading it, it was making me think of a lot of the more modern TV shows. Yes, Where you a have and a B like story. The A story that's just for the episode and the B story that runs for the season and then is like the A story for the
0: pilot and the final story. Indeed. And let me start off with something I don't necessarily agree with because I'm a miserable... (coughs) and there's one of the quotes that really stuck out of my mind and he says games are far more satisfying when the dm allows pcs to accomplish goals relatively quickly than to proceed to new ones and i'm really not sure i agree with that to be honest i can sort of see the logic behind it but i think if you allow people to like reach the goals too quickly you don't really have a sense of achievement you know you have to have a little bit of struggle i'm not saying you should go on for ages you have to have a little bit of struggle though a little bit of effort otherwise it's not really an achievement
1: did that quote use the word relatively
0: no oh yeah relatively quickly yeah Yeah.
1: i I think it's all about how relative is relative
0: yeah it was just something that just jumped out of me and i was like Mm -hmm. i'm not sure about that Okay, so that's roughly what it's about, and obviously, this article is going back a while. We're talking about sort of like the cover story of the magazine is like the birthright campaign preview, so that tells you how long ago that was.
1: Yeah, there's an advert for Magic the Gathering Ice Age coming soon. Yeah, so so
0: we're going back a bit, and I've just written down a few things which I think about multiple plots. Um, Mm -hmm. Now It talks about there's a few dangers and a few sticking points for multiple plots, and I've sort of thrown in a couple of my own. Uh, The first one is that if it's not handled carefully with a bit of a light touch, it can cause confusion. Because Mm -hmm. I know this from games that I've run in the past. Players, and people in general... We have a tendency to link things together, whether they're actually linked or not. Like we've said before, you know, looking for patterns, etc. And if you've got, like, 16 different plot lines going, inevitably people, something will happen and someone will be like, well, that guy must be the bad guy's henchman. And he's not. He's just some, like, local thug or something. Now, obviously, you can use the player's idea and you can meld it into your game. But if there's too many plots going on, it can get very confusing. And you don't know, like, what's most important. It's difficult to prioritise and it's difficult to see the wood for the trees effectively Mm -hmm. so for me i would say you probably want if you're talking like big plots i don't mean like little sidelines like oh the villagers lost his dog or whatever if you're talking like big plots i would say certainly only probably have like two or three of them going at the same time so i think I'm, i'm not saying that you couldn't do more than that all i'm saying is it's more difficult with more plot lines to prevent confusion and you can get that sort of like spaced outlook you see on players well like if you bombard them with too much stuff they're like it's that sort of paralysis where you're like i, 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 I don't know which one to go through first and you end up doing nothing because you're not sure what to do so i think it's worth keeping an eye on how many plots you have in total another potential sticking point is if you're going to plan them all out in great detail it can involve an awful lot of work for the gm a lot of which may not actually end up getting used
1: now, he does say in the article to try not to plan too far ahead yeah. for this sort of yeah. thing. To be more about what the NPC's goals are, what the NPC's motivations are, and to consider how they would react to the PC's recent actions, rather than to be planning, like, ten sessions ahead. Yeah. Because that gives your players more influence over the story. And it means you don't have to plan so
0: far ahead. Yeah, and we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get on to like what you would need for a multi-plot game. But love, are there any other things you think of that might be like sort of sticking points or issues in a multiple plotline game? Well, the big
1: thing for me that isn't really suggested there, because in 1995, if you were playing D and D, you had a regular D and D group, yeah, and it was the only game around, and. Everyone would turn up regularly, but for me, it would be actually getting a group together to keep a campaign like this going. Yeah, um, I tried to do this with my recent Star Trek game, and we just about managed to get to the end of the story arc. But there were quite a few people who dropped in, dropped out, and I think we only had mm-hmm. two players that were in it from the start to the end. Yeah, so most people missed most of that story that i'd put a lot of effort into
0: yeah and i mean to follow that's a very good point but to like follow on from that as well sort of backing up what you're saying really um if you get someone miss a session or something like that they may miss a vital link between different plot lines they may not understand what's going on basically the more stuff you add in the more difficult it is to make sure everyone's sort of seeing all aspects of it.
1: Now this is something where having a player who keeps notes yeah. is so useful. If everybody keeps notes great, but if one player's keeping notes, it makes them all the more useful to the whole group.
0: That's probably if I keep mad notes during RPG session. <laughs> mad notes uh,
1: and yeah, thanks Alex for effectively being the Starfleet database on my game. Um and there's a lot of different ways that you can like bring in those bits of information if you haven't got a player who keeps notes, but it's just a bit more difficult and I've written down a couple of suggestions of like ways to remind players of mm-hmm. what's going on with the story okay. at the moment, so Bards, and John's pulling a horrible face here, Bards singing songs about recent events, Bards telling jokes about recent events telling stories about recent events just some bloke in the pub telling yeah. stories like, or r- jokes r- about recent tales, events yeah. um, newspapers town criers yeah, that's a good one um, and then there's other ways to do it as well in other types of games. So I've noted down the captain's log, which was something I'd try and do at the start of every Star Trek game. Yeah, like a little recap. To catch everybody up yeah. on what was going on. Or to introduce today's new plot element.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, linked to that, another challenge as well is obviously that's all good stuff for like keeping the players sort of involved and up to speed another challenge is for the gm like actually tracking these plot lines mm-hmm. because if you've got a sort of a decent plot line it's not going to be a plot line where it sort of it just goes into suspended animation when the player character's on interacting mm-hmm. with it like if you've come up with a plot line that there's a there's an evil baron who's like plotting to overthrow the king or whatever and the player's have gone off on something else and they're not interacting with him and they've spent months doing something else the baron doesn't just go oh the players aren't here I'm, i i best just like put my plans on hold until other like, players interact with it so sort of keeping track of how things are progressing can also be sort of quite challenging for the the gm but you really need to keep track of it and keep things rolling along if you want to have that sort of amount of depth to your campaign world so it doesn't just seem like a sort of a a theatre set that only exists when the player characters are on the stage mm-hmm. i mean for me one of the things i found handy is a a concept that i've nicked out of like power the apocalypse and um, the index card rpg which is the idea of clocks so oh yeah what what i'll have for my major plot lines is let's say to take the example of the baron overthrowing the king i'll break it down into a number of stages and then you have like um how long it's going to take them roughly to do that in whatever units you see fit. I most often just use days because it's convenient. So I might say, um, oh, in the first first seven days, the Baron's gonna, at the end of the seventh day, the Baron's gonna have like a meeting with his cohorts in this particular area. And all I do is every time like a day passes, I just put a little tick on that list. When I get to the point where he's had his meeting, I go on to the next stage. And that way, whenever the player characters do interact with that plot, i know what stage the baron's plans up to so if they jump on it straight away in like the first sort of seven days i know the baron's not even met with his like co-conspirators yet so they're, they're sort of getting in when he's ill prepared however if it's like 30 days later and i've said like after 30 days he's starting to like get his armed forces together he's a lot more prepared i know what's going on and it enables me to keep a track of the background and when the player characters if they do if they do jump in i know exactly like How the story is going to be progressing, and also at the I'll have at the end of that list. If that all goes according to plan, and the player characters don't get involved, what happens then? Does the Baron overthrow the King? Because then, even if the player characters don't get involved at all, maybe they could they could be in like an entirely different city. But if I know that the Baron's done all of his planning and he's succeeded, he's overthrown the King. Like you say, then you can have people in coming into like the tavern and being like, Oh, have you ever heard there's been like a like a riot or like a, a coup in the, the capital city, you can still bleed through those plot elements. A way that I
1: might approach it might be to do a big flow chart. Yeah. Where I have at the top of the flowchart maybe three plot lines. Yeah. Each one would be connected to one of the players' backgrounds just to make sure that the players have got something in, that they're involved in. I'd try and make sure that they were in some way connected to everybody so that people want to be involved Yeah, they're in interested it. in
0: it, yeah.
1: Um, I'd try and do one session that would be about each story in okay. the first few sessions of the game. And each time I do a session... I would add a bubble onto the next bit of the flowchart. And sometimes they're going to cross over, sometimes they're going to connect up. But because, like, down on that chart is effectively the timeline, it gives me the chance to plan ahead, to note where certain things are going to happen. But if the players do something that's going to change that, all I've got to do is cross out a couple of bubbles and put something else in.
0: Yeah, we see that I do it in a very similar way with these lists. Where mm-hmm. if the player's characters get involved and change something, because you know what stage it's at, you know that you just have to change the stages below that. Mm-hmm. But also because I love like a bit of a random element in my games, because I like being surprised by what's going on in my game. I-, I like not to have everything pre-scripted. Also, occasionally I'll put in like a little bit of a branch point where I'll just roll a dice So let's say inner example of the baron overthrowing the king i I might say oh if it gets to this stage and like the final coup is happening i might say oh there's a there's a three in six chance or a 50 percent chance that the the baron's going to overthrow the king and then when i get to that stage i'll roll a d6 depending on what happens i'll then fill in the next stage Mm -hmm. so even if the player characters don't get involved I can roll that dice and they'll either hear from the guy in the tavern while they're like cities away that, oh, there was a coup, but they'll either hear, oh yeah, this coup's overthrown the king and now such and such is in charge, or they'll find out, oh, the king like found out about it and he put it down and now he's still the king and all the the conspirators are either in jail or they've fled. So Mm -hmm. it adds a nice element of uncertainty for me, but I've still sort of got a plan, so I still know what's going on. Okay, so... Let's move on from the dangers of multiple plots to what you need for a multiple plot game. And I think certainly, if I flip over my notes, one of the things you need to have is you need to have a, a clear idea or some knowledge of like your game world or your game universe background. Mm-hmm. Because when players are interacting, whether you'll have to think on your feet a lot, you'll have to change things. And having sort of a knowledge of how your campaign world works who the major players are, who the organisations are, etc. You can keep your world consistent, even if you have to do things on the fly. Whereas, if you don't know anything about this particular area of your campaign well, you might come up with something off the top of your head that doesn't really fit in with everything else. And you can probably backfill it and work it out afterwards, but you're making a lot of work for yourself. Whereas, if you know in this area... I mean, don't need to go into ridiculous detail, but if you know this is an area ruled by like feuding noble lords with sort of like the most powerful lord over the top of them who crown himself king but his rule's a bit tenuous because he only rules as long as the other nobles are like majority behind him you know how to play that and that would be entirely different from if it's like a, if it's like a, a monarchy where it's believed that the monarch is like a divine ruler they're chosen by the gods or whatever that would have a very different flavor but just having that bit of background enables you to like portray these elements consistently and also it gives you an idea about how the plot might go because, mm-hmm. to use like, again our example of like, the Baron overthrowing the king, if all the citizenry and all the baronry think that are the kings have chosen a god, trying to get a rebellion against them is going to be a lot more difficult than if he's just like the latest in a line of nobles who just happens to be rich and powerful enough to like crown himself king. So... Another thing is, as we said, not, you said earlier, knowledge mm-hmm. of the characters, their background yeah. and their motivations.
1: And I think that's probably the most important thing on it. Not just your NPCs, but your player characters as well.
0: Yeah. it's
1: but, y- You've got to have a vague idea of where they're going to
0: head. Well, yeah, and as you said earlier, having knowledge of your, your players and their characters and their backgrounds lets you divine what your player characters are going to be interested in. Because mm-hmm. if someone creates a character and they're like, oh, I come from the mean side of the streets, I'm involved in like, crime families and stuff like that, you know, they want to see gangsters, they want to see thieves' guild, they want to see like heists and stuff like that. Whereas if you have someone who's like, oh, I've created a, I've created a sort of dandy socialite who comes from like, a, a noble family and he spends all of his time on like, gala balls and stuff, that's a very different want from the game.
1: But this is where the multiple plot lines thing comes in. Exactly. Because if you've got two players who've created both of those characters and there's a socialite ball going on and some mobsters and you've got the two characters interacting on some level between those two things, then maybe the mobsters are going to raid the socialite ball at some point. Or they're going to get some information there that they're later going to use to blackmail somebody. Yeah. Or
0: all manner of things could connect those two characters. Yeah, I mean, you could have some of the nobles. Maybe they, maybe they're higher. They get in touch with the the noble player, and they're like, "Oh, we know, we know you've got like some a friend who's like got some like thiefly connections. We think we're like about to be raided. Who better to like check our defences out than like a thief? You know, you get a thief to catch a thief. Or maybe, maybe one of the nobles at the ball is like in bed with the gangsters on the sly maybe he, like owes them money or whatever mm-hmm. there's no end of different like plot lines you could spin off that and like you say you know there at least you've got two of your player characters and their players are interested in it and why would you not use stuff if the players are like handing it to you and saying here's what i'm interested in that's it as we said earlier as well having an idea of like the npcs and the various organizations because it allows you to portray them consistently
1: So, another thing to bear in mind with these sorts of campaigns... ...is having the option to drop a character if a player leaves for whatever reason... Yeah. add a new character if a new player joins without it breaking your game. Because if you've hung a load of stuff on a particular character being involved in it... ...and then that player stops turning up to the game then you 've got to find another way to get that information to other people, or they 're going to feel like they've been cheated of it when they get to the end and there's this other thread that's been going on parallel to them without them knowing anything about it
0: yeah, I think that 's where the idea of like not planning too far ahead that you were talking mm-hmm. about earlier comes in as well because if you 've only planned like a few step like a few steps ahead and then so sort of, and you 've got a whole you're like, oh, yeah, this this Thief's Guild guy is going to make contact with the player the player thief and he's going to do this, that, and the other. And then the guy who's playing the thief stops playing the game. You've only really got to rewrite, like, a few little steps to, like, use it. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe the maybe the thief gets in touch with the, the noble player and he's like, oh, yeah, how about all this shady dealing that your family's been involved in that you didn't know about?
1: Or something maybe like the that. the bard owes some money to the
0: criminals. Exactly, yeah. It's a lot easier to... Not necessarily easier to rewrite stuff, but you'll feel like you're throwing less stuff away if you've only sort of like written a little bit ahead. And that's why when I'm doing these like clocks that I've talked about, I tend to have the start point, I have the end point, and then I'll do like two or three stages. Then when I start getting like near to the end of the second one, I'll then do another few. And I'm sort of, I know where mm-hmm. I'm starting, I know where I want to roughly end up, and I'm sort of moving my way down that. But obviously, and also as well when the player characters get involved and they change stuff you're not rewriting swathes of material you're just like changing a few little stages okay so now we've talked a little bit about the problems and some of the things you need to run a multi campaign what are the rewards of running a multiple? campaign i mean why piece through all this work because a more complicated
1: story is more interesting
0: yeah i would also say as well it gives the players more choice in a game Mm -hmm. because obviously in any sort of like in your typical sort of like four to five hour role play session you're not going to be pursuing all of these plot lines at once however if you're in a game where there's two or three plot lines going on and you're like oh yeah i know i know we've been pursuing the steve's guild for the last few sessions but we need a bit of a change of pace you can jump onto one of the other plot lines for a bit
1: it also gives you a lot more chance to properly develop a character, to have them learn some lessons and change their behaviour and have an outcome to that, whereas in a short session... Yeah. you've it, It's more like an episodic TV show where everything resets at the end and you come back into the next session and you're on to the next dungeon and it's your character themselves doesn't get so much chance to...
0: Develop. That's it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think for me as well, it, it also makes it more likely that players will engage with the plots that's maybe not 100% mm-hmm. for them. Because if you're in... Let's say you're in a game and there's one central plot, and that's mm-hmm. it. There'll be little sidelines, but there's one main central plot, and you're really not, like, digging that plot for some mm-hmm. reason. You're, you're probably not going to engage with it. Mm-hmm. However... If there's three plots going on in the game, chances are you'll like at least one of them. And because you know that like when your your chance to like jump on your plot rolls around, like other people are gonna get involved in that, you're more likely to when it's their sort of turn in the spotlight, you're more likely to go, yeah, I'll get engaged and I'll go along with this, because you know that you're gonna get your turn, basically. So I think that's a positive thing. It also makes your game setting feel a lot deeper and a lot richer and a lot more textured because we know in the real world you don't just have one thing going on at a particular time. There's no end of stuff going on and obviously we streamline it down a bit for games and we simplify it a bit but even just having two or three things going on makes it seem a lot more, not realistic but a lot lot more, a lot deeper.
1: It's sort of like the difference between going somewhere because you've got something to do. Yeah. I don't know, Job interview. Yeah, OK. You go, go to the job interview, you get back on the train, you go home. Whereas if you go there to have a look around town, you'd be there a lot longer. You might walk up and down some streets you weren't expecting. You might stop in at the pub or maybe a restaurant. You're not quite sure yet. Yeah. You've got a chance to th- take your time and explore. Yeah. And it it's that different... Think you you either go somewhere, get the thing you've got to get done. Yeah,
0: do the task. Never look finish. around.
1: Never even think about yeah. doing it. Move on, or you properly go and look around and take your time.
0: Yeah, and I think as as you're rightly sort of saying that it encourages you to to take in more of the setting to sort of like like smell the roses mm-hmm. effectively because like you say you're not just yeah, like get to the dungeon get the <laughs> treasure get home spend the money which <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that if you like that but if you're like oh we've got three plots going on or whatever and you're like yeah okay one of them plots is going to the dungeon and getting evil wizards treasure but also we've got this like weird thing going on all the barons are, like rousing up against the king and uh, oh well by that old knight who's coming it, you're more likely to sort of take in a lot of the setting
1: so bringing it Back round to the article again.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's been 25 years since this article was written. Yep. Gaming's changed quite a lot in that time. Now, reading it, it was like it was a revelation for the guy that had written it, that you could put more than one story yeah. into a D&D game. Whereas, obviously, you and I as GMs have been playing since this was old news so we try and do this automatically yeah when did that sort of start happening do you think what's made people up their games so that it's not just a board game about getting treasure and collecting points
0: well, well i don't know i don't know that it's such a. I consider it to be such a revelation i mean i agree the way the article was written mm-hmm. it was like it was like, oh, I'm handing you out like, this manor from heaven, <laughs> you can multiple plot lines. But I think that's just the way it's like written, because they're trying to sell the article, obviously. Well yeah. But um, I think certainly with D D, so sort of like going back to the earliest days, it's all it's always been about player choice. I mean, mm-hmm. if you if you boil a dungeon down to its most essential sort of elements, what is it? It's a number of passageways. You choose which passageways you go down, and which passageways you go down in a good dungeon they affect what creatures you face what treasures you come across what traps stuff like that so i think in a way the dungeon is like a sort of microcosm of this idea it's very simplified don't get me wrong because the choices there are very simple oh i've come to a a corridor going three ways do i go left do i go right do i go straight on etc very simple but that sort of idea of player choice has been enshrined in DD since like the early days I, and if we look at the the idea of like the wilderness campaign the hex crawl campaign which I'm a massive fan of that's literally just like there's a map there there's some interesting stuff on this map go out and do what you see fit
1: mm-hmm. it's
0: like and so for certainly early D&D had like distinct different phases of the dungeon phase where your choices were were down to like how you explore the dungeon and what you do but once you got out of that dungeon where you went on the campaign map was entirely down to you if you come out of like the dungeon and you're like, oh, I can see on this map there's some mountains to the north. Let's go and see what's in their mountains. The GM will roll with that, and you and there's there's no sort of like control over like, oh well you can't go to the mountains because we've only got these like few plot lines going on. So I think D and D's always had that sort of level of choice. I think possibly where this idea has come from, and I might be wrong. Feel free to like holler at us if we, if I'm wrong, um, listeners. Is I think with a lot of the the sort of published modules sort of back in the day i think a lot of them were sort of slightly more linear in approach i'm not saying they're like railroaded you or restricted your choices but i think a lot of them were sort of you had a limited array of options effectively so i think this idea that you know you could have more wide spanning choices and you could throw it open a bit more to the players i'm sure at some point that was seen as like a revelation Whereas, as you say, because gaming's changed a lot now, people have embraced a lot like, open-world gaming and stuff like that a lot more. Um, even in like computer games, where like we know that like, true like open world isn't really possible because you're within the limits of like your hardware, but a lot of games have gone for the whole you can roam on the map, you can do whatever you want. So, and I think that's one of the great strengths of RPGs is that as long as the you've got an imaginative GM who's willing to like improvise a bit. Maybe put a little bit of prep in in the background, you can pretty much do whatever you want in the game, so even in this game if you 've got like your three plots and your multiple plot lines going on, if the player characters decide oh we 're not going to get involved with any of those three plots if you' if you 've worked out what 's going to happen if the players don 't get involved mm-hmm. and you 've got your knowledge of your campaign world and your setting, you can still roll with that, and they, they can ignore the um the Lord trying to overthrow the king. They can ignore the, the various other plots going on. And that's a choice in itself. It's a choice not to get involved with them. And that also has consequences in that whatever comes to pass will come to pass and you won't have a direct say in it. But you could have been off somewhere else doing something equally as interesting. And I think that's one of the benefits of and the strengths of RPGs, to be honest.
1: Mm. So, there you go. That was a random article from Dragon Magazine number 218.
0: And that's it from back in the day!
1: so if you've got any articles you'd like us to have a look at any suggestions send them in and
0: yeah we may do this more in the future depending on if people like it or not like I say we're just sort of looking for a bit of inspiration at the moment if you've got any suggestions for things you'd like to hear us cover you'd like to comment on anything we've already said in our episodes or well, you just want to have a bit of a chat, you can do so in a couple of different ways. You can leave us a voicemail message on SpeakPipe. There'll be a link to their website down below. Or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we speak to you again, take care, stay safe, and whatever you're playing, have fun.
1: Bye.